Hey, Stackers, we're excited about kicking off another week of shows, but first, a big shout out to our troops protecting all those of us in the United States. On behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union and the team here at Stacking Benjamins, thank you so much. We're glad you're with us, stacking some Benjamins as you're keeping us safe. Let's hit play on this week's shows. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the GameStop All the Time Podcast. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you had dreams of casting your fortune on a rocket ship to the moon? That's how many viewed GameStop stock last week. We'll dive into the fuss and give our take on today's show. Plus, do you consider yourself a hustler? If so, maybe the I can sleep when I die mentality is costing you more than you know. We'll ask the author of the best-selling book, Busy, Tony Crabb. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Andrew, who has a question about his indexed universal life policy. Should he keep it going or drop it? And I'm going to get judicial with today's trivia. And now, two guys who are both all in on GameStop, you know, with their thoughts and prayers, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J. Oh, it was GameStop? Isn't it Game Boy? It's Game Boy, right? We, we discussed Game Boy. Because I bought... I'm I, certain of it. I bought 100,000 shares of Game Boy. Wait, I bought 100,000 Game Boys. Oh, our air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Know the Ticker Symbol for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Saul, CHI Average Joe Money on Twitter. And if you're somebody who last week made your fortune and now you're here wondering how to diversify and do the right thing, welcome to the party. I'm Joe Saul, CHI Average Joe Money on Twitter. We are the democratic home of open access to information for everybody on the internet. And we're so glad we we're here. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, as always, on a glorious money-filled Monday, it's Mr. OG. What an exciting week. It has been great. It was just... Not exciting in a good way. It is, it is the weirdest thing when we don't even know if we have up-to-date information with the stuff we're about to share. We're recording this for the second time because of the fact that uh, things have changed since the beginning. And, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, maybe many of you are like our friend Rachel Bonetta, podcaster Rachel Bonetta, on Twitter the other day. How about this? It's really hard for me to say this, but... I don't know anything about stocks. And I feel like I haven't even been able to go on Twitter in the last 24 hours. I don't know what anyone is talking about. So like, maybe we could just go back to the Bernie memes. How many calls did you get from people trying to follow last week? Wondering, what is this whole GameStop thing? What the heck's going on? Uh, thankfully, zero. <laughs> zero phone calls. Yeah. I had, it I came had, up in conversation, but... Thankfully, no one called. I had so many conversations about that last week. So our headlines, believe it or not, we're going to talk about a little company named GameStop. Might touch on another company called Robinhood. And as if that's not all, 
we've got Tony Crabb waiting in the wings to talk about how much being busy is costing you. Being busy has never cost you a dime, OG. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but first, before we talk to Tony, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right, Tony Crabb waiting in the wings. But first, I think we might want to talk a little bit, OG, about all the fun that's been happening in the market lately. Uh, pretty much GameStop. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. And our first headline comes to us via TikTok investors, because <laughs> that's where all the hard-hitting news comes from. Here's a little something-something from TikTok that includes some glorious music in the background, OG. This is, this is what happened last week. Here's what's going on. Robinhood made it so you can't buy AMC, GameStop, Nokia, BlackBerry. Why would they do that? Because the billionaires that were funding Robinhood, because their company's going to IPO in like March, so that their, their company can be traded publicly as well. The billionaires that are funding that were shorting these companies. So they're like, we're not going to fund your company if you if you don't ban these stocks from being bought, because these can't be bought or else we're going to lose a lot of money. So basically, the internet is fighting against billionaires, and we're making history today. This is literally a war of billionaires versus the average American citizen. So that's why everyone that you see on the internet is buying AMC, trying to buy AMC, trying to buy Nokia, trying to buy these companies so that these billionaires get a taste of their own medicine because they're every average Joe ever. So that's why we're buying, that's why we're holding, because even if we lose money, it's basically a middle finger to these rich we're not I, I, I don't know about that last little bit. <laughs> I don't know if it's the dude or if it's the music. It's his passion. Big week for passion last week. Yeah. But before we get into all this David versus Goliath stuff, let's back up even further. Steve, back up the tape so we can start this story from closer to the beginning. This is a story that apparently OG goes back to November 
and uh, a dude who apparently it looks like initially it looked like it was two people. Now it looks like both those people were exactly the same person, a guy who used to work for Mass Mutual, who's in a Reddit forum called Wall Street Bets. And he noticed the short interest in GameStop. I think it goes back a lot further than that. I mean, this guy, and <clears throat> it turns out that he's a, at least a, allegedly anyway, a CFA, CFA. A chartered financial analyst, which is a pretty hard thing to get. So, so this is kind of his job. His job is to research companies. And some years ago, it's been years, noticed that there were more people betting against it than, than there was available stuff. And I think to kind of figure out like what that kind of sort of means, it's really kind of the the crux of all of this issue, which is how can you bet more stuff against the thing that exists in the universe? Right. The short interest, the people, the people betting against it was a bigger number than the people betting for it with their money. Well, and I think it's maybe it's a little simplistic to say, but let's say that we offered a hundred shares to the general public for stacking Benjamins. You could own a part of stacking Benjamins. There's a hundred opportunities to buy. We have what one. We sell those for like thirty cents each. Well, let's not get into the particulars. But there's a hundred shares, and meanwhile, the fine folks over at uh, Choose Fi, they're like, "Yeah, we don't think that's going to do so good." So we want to bet against it. We think that stacking Benjamins is going to go down from $100 a share for their 100 shares. And uh, we want to bet it's going to go down. And we want to bet 150 shares that it's going to go down. And you'd say, well, how are you going to bet 150? Well, the banks and brokerage companies just go, yeah, you guys are good for it. We'll figure it out. And yeah, it'll just, we'll just, we'll settle it up later. So they allow us to have, or in this case, allow the fine folks at Choose FI to have more interest in us going down which is fine. You can have that opinion, right? You can bet that way. You can invest that way. Perfectly fine. But to invest at a multiple that is more than is in existence, if they got all the shareholders of Stacking Benjamins in the same room and said, we want to buy you out, they would still be 50 shares short. They still wouldn't have enough. And so if there's enough notice of that, and I, do I say collusion? <laughs> That sounds like a negative word. But if enough people notice it and have that opinion that, oh, yeah, this is pretty stupid, we can kind of force their hand, right? Because the thing about betting on stocks going down is that is that you're only right from the price that you bet on all the way to zero. When you normally invest in stocks, what are you betting? You're betting that they go up. And what's your profit limit if stocks go up? Unlimited. Un- unlimited, right? You're never going to run out of profit. I mean, it can go from $1 a share to infinity and you can profit the whole way. But if you're the other way, if you're saying, I I think it's at 20, but I bet it's going to go to 10, you can bet that way. But if it goes to 30, you lose money. If you go to 40, you lose more money. If it goes to 50, you lose more money. You go to 100, it loses more and more money. And eventually, the people that you've made the bet with go, hey, uh, fine folks at Choose FI, you guys need to make good on the fact that you are upside down on this. Well, what does that cause? It causes them to have to go out and buy it at whatever price the open market is at that day. So they can give it back. So that they can you know, own it to cover the fact that they were negative. And now instead of thinking about how you and I buy stocks, which Joe, 
you and I have fun money accounts and we go, I'm going to go along, uh, I'm going to buy five shares of GM. What do you think? <laughs> you know, those are our kind of big trade days. Now turn that into an exponential and say, now, now you're talking about hedge funds and money management firms that, that are in charge of billions and billions and billions of dollars. So when they have to solve the problem, they're not solving it with five shares, they're solving it with 5 million shares and 10 million and so on and so forth. So so this guy saw this as an issue and kind of beat that drum for the better part of a year, if not more than, and some other things happened along the way, right? They got some new management, they got some new board seat owners, people that had invested time and energy into the company to kind of turn it around. I mean, let's face it, GameStop is not the company that two weeks ago you were like, yeah, that's definitely going to take off a store that you can go buy used video games. It still isn't that company. Well, it's not. You're right. But the theory was, was that, hey, there's a new guy in town. Maybe he's going to shuffle things up a little bit, try to convert it a little bit to more of a digital online presence, so on and so forth, combined with all this other stuff. Yeah, lots of rumors of a buyer coming in. And so now a lot of people hold the thesis that it's not only worth more, but also we can kind of stick it to the man, like our friend over on TikTok said. So that that was step one of his rant to review. What's going on? Robinhood made it so you can't buy AMC, GameStop, Nokia, BlackBerry. Why would they do that? Now let's go to part two of the story. Robinhood. Wow, I can't believe that, that Robinhood involved in something uh, weird in a stock. One of our headline pieces today comes from CNBC.com. Robinhood CEO says it limited buying in GameStop to, quote, protect the firm and protect our customers. One thing that uh, oh, people shit. were alleging, well, <laughs> something people were alleging on Thursday is that Robinhood, which is a brokerage firm where people buy stock and things like GameStop and and AMC, where this is also happening, a similar thing is happening, as is with Nokia and some other stocks. Robinhood halted trading on Thursday in those stocks, saying that you could no longer take part in any of that. What was interesting, OG, about GameStop, of course, and the reason that you coughed, I think, was because Robinhood makes money by selling their order flow, meaning, and you'll have to go back to get into this with, there's a Michael uh, Lewis book on this whole topic, right? but this firm called- Flash Boys. Flash Boys, Yes. This firm called Citadel buys the order flow. They're the biggest buyer of order flow from Robinhood. And basically, so what you're talking about is what are the trades that are about to happen when you package it up? So Robinhood has all these members, all these customers, and they all buy and sell stuff. And then Robinhood has to send that out to the universe to get filled, right? To transact that business. There are companies, and the way that Robinhood makes money, since they don't charge commissions anymore, nor does anyone for that matter, the way that they make money is they package up all those, all of that data and go, who wants to have access to this data before it kind of goes public? And they sell it. And you go, well, how can that be profitable if it's a millisecond faster? Because they have really fast computers. And they, they can their and computers- they can see are faster than the NASDAQ or faster than the uh, NYSE's computers. They yeah. get in there and do something called front running where it's, you see, a, you see that a bunch of people are buying a stock. You buy it ahead of time, very quick trades. They then sell it right make after a, the stock make bumps a little up. Bit of money. Yep. Make a little money. It's like one of those really old uh, 
Superman movies. Remember, remember the one with Richard Pryor where he was the bad guy and he was making like a quarter cent and a half cent on all these bank deals back and forth. We could just say like Office Space. That's sometime in the last century. Office, office, office Space. Do I got to go to stuff recent? That's so recent. Office Space. That, that one's not. <laughs> but so they're they're not making they're not making a lot of money on every deal. Oh, gee, they're just making money on every deal or sure. most of the to. deals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so Robin Hood limits this and immediately people go, well, this is Citadel telling them to stop because it also turns out that Citadel is one of the biggest companies with a short interest wanting GameStop to go down. So everyone now immediately on Thursday begins accusing Robin Hood of nefarious activity and pressure from hedge funds to stop it. <laughs> is it not obvious? Well, I know that this, I know that they say that it's not, and then they go, "Yeah, you know, this is to protect our shareholders, and we've got capital requirements and all this other sort of nonsense." Uh, yeah, this is exactly what that was. I don't care what the news article says. Well, here's the other interesting thing. I noticed, and you noticed too, the press wagon on Thursday, all of a sudden started talking about this might be alt-right activity, making oh, yeah. it maybe political. This might be all these nefarious things where you could see these, these, you could see right through these hedge funds and maybe I'm wrong, but you could totally see the hedge fund PR machine rolling out going, man, we got to get out in front of this thing. Cause these little traders are kicking our butt are absolutely kicking our butt. Now here's the thing though, OG, it, it wasn't just Robin hood though. I mean, today's show is sponsored by M1 Finance. M1's clearing agent, Robinhood has their own. M1's clearing agent, Apex, wasn't letting people do this either. Either Robinhood and Apex got contacted by... Uh, I'm the consigliere for uh, Citadel, and we're going to need you to do a little something for us. Yeah, right, right. They got something from a guy with a baseball bat yeah, coming exactly. at him, or worse. Yeah, or these firms actually were having liquidity issues, which is what, by the way, the Robinhood CEO says in his uh, statement to Andrew Ross Sorkin. He says, Robinhood's a brokerage firm. We have a lot of financial requirements. We have SEC net capital requirements and clearinghouse deposits. So that's money we have to deposit at various clearinghouses. Some of these requirements fluctuate quite a bit based on volatility in the market, and they can be substantial in the current environment when there's a lot of volatility and a lot of concentrated activity in these names that have been going viral on social media, said Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood. Now, he said he denied in the very next sentence, OG says, Tenev denied there was any existing liquidity issue at the firm. He just said in the previous statement that there's liquidity issues at the firm. And it came out later that afternoon or that evening that they had drawn something like a billion dollars of their line of credit he or says, something like that. He, he says that later. Yeah. So here's what I think. Maybe less nefarious than the mafia coming after them. Maybe the mafia did come after them. The, the, and by mafia, I mean the hedge fund if managers. If you've ever watched Billions, <laughs> this is exactly how this went down. That, that could have happened. But I think that there were some liquidity issues at Apex and liquidity issues at Robinhood, which, well, by the way- Well, if that's the case, then why at other firms that don't have liquidity issues or didn't have liquidity issues, did they also do it? Right. Yes. So companies like Interactive Brokers limited the trading. 
And my issue, my issue with Robin Hood today, which is different than it was early in the day. When I first heard this, I'm like, oh, wow, Robin Hood's grown over their customers again for, Shock. The, for the 51st Shocker. time after they had the big PR campaign just a few weeks ago saying, no, we're never going to screw you over again. Well, guess what? They screw you over again. But my point here is it doesn't matter to me which one it is. Dude, dude, still not telling you the truth. Either way, either either he's got somebody busting his kneecaps that has a lot of money, or he has liquidity issues, which he's denying. Well, you get what you pay for. This is a byproduct of uh, free trading, right? There's no barrier to entry anymore like there used to be. And I don't have a dog in that hunt. I don't care whether or not commissions are free or not. I'm very pro-individual and very anti-big brother type scenario, and to hear on Wednesday and Tuesday and to some extent on Thursday last week, the comments that, you know, well, these guys just don't know what they're getting themselves into and da 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 Well, that's the right that we all have. You know, we have the right to make mistakes and follow it up or also be right. I was listening to an interview on CNBC. The person who they were interviewing was like, why in the heck? Does my thesis, which is to say that you guys are stupid and you shouldn't have so much you know, negative interest in this company, why does that have any less weight than your thesis, which is we think it should go in the toilet? Just because my opinion is not you know, from a big towered office building on the 70th floor, mine is from my, <laughs> pardon the expression, mom's basement. You know? And the host of the interview on CNBC couldn't really answer that and I do think that there's going to be a lot that comes unraveled on this. And and what comes unraveled is probably going to be some level of collusion, probably some level of bad behavior by By hedge funds and by by hedge fund managers. But here's where that leaves it. And I I think this is the important thing. You know, we heard the TikTok guy going, even if we lose money, it's like a big middle. No, it's not. No. That's the thing. They don't care because they do have more money than you. And it is set up as a weird system because let's just fast forward and let's assume that all the lawsuits that were filed on Thursday and Friday against Robin Hood and the hedge funds, let's assume that they're all found to be accurate, right? They did collude. The SEC comes in and goes, yeah, you guys did have a backdoor deal and da 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 da, right? What is it? Where does that leave mom and pop investor who bought GameStop on Thursday at, at the peak? They don't get anything out of that. Maybe some vindication, but. All they're trying to do, the they, the big money, is drag it out. Because if they drag it out, they can end up being right again. But one of my favorite phrases about the market is, it will remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And you may be proved to be right in this, and, and we may find out that all these companies did bad things, but you're not going to have any money on the back end of it. Because you'll be blown out of your position at whatever. I mean, you're seeing all the stories of people getting traded out at weird prices and all this other sort of stuff. So it's not a game that you can play and expect to win, although sometimes you can play it and win it. It's just not an investment policy statement. It's not a it's 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 a fun sideshow to participate in perhaps. It's a fun thing to watch on TV. Maybe it's a sad thing to watch on TV. But if you're looking at it as the holy grail, if you're looking at it as, "Oh my gosh, I'm 48 years old and I haven't saved anything for retirement. This is the way I get back on track. You're going to get blown up. And if you don't get blown up on this one, you're going to get blown up on the next one. Uh, 
So you have to do it the right way. And if you want to, you know, if you want to have some fun and trade GameStop options, I mean, do it. It's interesting to say the least, but you can't make your whole life revolve around this. And you certainly can't do it from the position of, yeah, we'll show them. We'll just lose tons of money. That's, that doesn't that doesn't prove anything to anyone. I think that brings up what we need to get here to OG, which is the takeaway. And I saw people on Thursday with so much fear missing out going to buy this stock. They wanted to buy it on Thursday. When all the action was happening, how do I buy some? Uh, somebody that is an acquaintance that I'm working with on a project right now said, we just went to our account and we bought, you're going to lose your ass. This is what I feel bad about is that the people with no information that hear that this thing is hot and it's already gone to a hundred, 200, $400 a share, no matter what happens over the short run. I feel bad OG because I feel like the big guy is not going to get burned. I feel like a ton of little guys are still going to get burned in this. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. And it'll be overshadowed by the few people who actually did it at the right time and made a whole bunch of money. You know what I mean? Like, cause you don't, you don't generally see a lot of self-indulging Facebook or Twitter or TikTok posts that go, Hey, by the way, I completely destroyed my retirement. Check this out. I mean, there might be one cautionary tale, but you see 10 times of the, I made 20 grand, I made 50 grand, I made a hundred grand, I made a million. You know, you see that way more than you see the other side of that, which is probably more likely. If you're doing it from a position of like, I'm going to show them the long game does not work for you. If you're the, if you're, if you're an individual investor, the long game on this, this type of stuff doesn't work for you because any sort of one-off thing that you don't have control over can blow the whole thing up. Oh, just, just horrible. You're going to hear friends of yours talking about, hey, to your point, this is where fortunes are made, OG. This is it. This is where fortunes are made. This is where fortunes are lost. Yeah. Yep. This, is, right. this is exactly where. In fact, it's funny. I have a, I have a family member who was in on this in uh, November and as of Thursday had made a significant amount of money to the point that Cheryl even said to me, she's like, how come you're not talking to so-and-so about the money moves that they make? And I said, well, no offense to him because he's done incredibly well here, but it's a bet. It isn't an investment. It's a bet. It is a yep. bet. Going back to David Stein, when he was on our show, talking about the difference between a bet and an investment. And w when you're buying GameStop at $300 a share, it's a bet. It's not an investment. Yep. OG and I'll have our takeaways in just a moment from today's exciting discussion. We don't even have time for a second uh, headline, but I think a big takeaway for all of us, OG, is that managing money has typically been complicated, time-consuming, and just another reason to bite your nails. As is the dude sawing in the background. That's a reason to bite your nails, because that doesn't stop here at mom's house. We just uh, keep the party going upstairs. Yeah, mom's got the chainsaw out on a Monday morning, as usual. Uh, but for half a million investors who have accounts with M1 Finance, investing is smarter, it's more automated, and easier than ever. Do yourself a favor this year. Check out M1. This finance super apps designed to be personalized for your needs and their automation tools make it simpler to reach your financial goals. With M1, you can invest how you want with access to fractional shares and unmatched automation all for free. 
And you can borrow against your investments at super low rates, just two to three and a half percent and use this flexible portfolio line of credit for anything like investing more in your portfolio, refinancing other loans or funding large projects. M1 ties it together in a free digital account so you can have more flexibility and smoother money movements. Just remember, peeps, borrowing involves higher risks and rates can vary. So visit M1 Finance, that's m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up and you'll get $30 to invest because you're a stacker. Again, that's visit m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up and you're going to get $30 to invest. Terms and conditions apply. I think my takeaway, OG, is this. Basically, the internet is fighting against billionaires and we're making history today. This is literally a war billionaires versus the average American citizen. Go average American citizen. It's a war. (laughs) It is a war. If you're not in on this, it's okay. I don't know that I get involved. It's okay. There's a show that OG and I really like a lot called Something You Should Know, hosted by a longtime friend of mine, Mike Carruthers. I was listening to Mike interview a gentleman named Tony Crabb. And it was an incredibly fascinating discussion. And on a chat that I had with Mike telling him just how much I really enjoyed the interview, he discussed the fact that we might be able to run it for you here, which I thought was amazingly cool that Mike would do that. So Mike Carruthers, longtime radio broadcaster, longtime journalist and host of the Something You Should Know podcast. Here he is with Tony Crabb on the price of being busy. For many people, being busy is a way of life. We take pride in being busy. We look at busy people as important people because they have so much to do. And there's certainly a sense of accomplishment. I know I felt it. When you have a million things on your to-do list and you get them all done, well, that feels pretty great. But if you're busy doing all these things on your to-do list, what are you not doing instead? If you weren't so busy, what would you do? What would you rather do? Is being busy a good state to be in? Well, with an interesting perspective on busy is Tony Crabb. Tony is a business psychologist who has worked with companies like Microsoft, Disney, HSBC, and the World Bank. And he's author of a book called Busy, How to Thrive in a World of Too Much. Hey, Tony. Uh, It's really nice to be here, Mike. So, as I said, a lot of people wear their busyness as a badge of honor. I know busy people who, if they weren't so busy, they really wouldn't know what to do. So, how do you look at busy? Is it is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or it just is what it is? No, I think busy is dumb. I think it's I think it's the natural response to a world of too much. I think it's a, an ill thought out strategy. I think it's a, a set of bad habits. And quite frankly, I think it's the easy option. And yet, I think people would say, well, so if I wasn't busy, what would I do? Being busy is my life. Busy is what I do. To not be busy means to do what instead? And you know what? There's a lot of research that shows people have a fear of idleness. People are unhappy with idleness. And maybe that drives some of the activity. But, But let me just be clear about what I mean by busy. Busy is this kind of 
racing, cramming, juggling, multitasking, frenetic pace where we flatline through our day. We kind of, you know, buzz ourselves up with coffee in the morning and cool ourselves down with alcohol in the evening that fills so much of life. And for me, the opposite of busyness isn't relaxation on a beach or sitting idle doing nothing. The opposite of busy is the ability to bring sustained focused attention onto the people you love most or the people that are important to you in work and the and the things or the problems or the activities that you care most about. So how did, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where being busy means you're important? You see, that's a great question. Actually in, in the pre-industrial age, if you were in Paris in the late 1800s and you were cool, one of the things that was really fashionable to do is to walk a turtle on a piece of string. And the reason for that is turtles walk really, really slowly. So it was a, it was a manifestation of quite how much time you had on your hands. We've completely flipped that. And, one, and actually the research shows today that when we moan brag about our business, when people say, how are you? And we go into this long tirade about quite how busy our lives are, we're actually subtly competing. We, research shows we actively compete about who can be busier. And so one of the things is we just changed our, our sets of values in a way that's, that fits with some of the needs of the Industrial Revolution, but doesn't necessarily fit with either what we need in an attention economy or what works well from us from a well-being perspective. Also think it's a set of dumb habits that have come about through the digital age. I mean, most of us you know, reach for our first shot of busyness or email before our first shot of caffeine. We, some eminent psychologists, put people in an empty room for 15 minutes with nothing to do apart from electrocute themselves. And most people chose to electrocute themselves because we're hooked on this world of hyperstimulation. And a lot of this drives this need to be busy. Well, one of the things I've always found interesting about this busyness thing is our obsession with, and I interview people on this podcast all the time, about, you know, productivity. And and it seems like the idea is to find ways to do things faster so you can do more things and then do them faster yeah. so you can do more things. And the goal is always to get more done. It isn't to free yourself up from, it isn't finding a way to get things done so you don't have to work so hard. It's just making room for more work. But really we've got hooked in what I call the more game which is we endlessly, the rules are simple in terms of the way we think about success. The more we do, the faster we do it, the quicker we respond, the more we'll succeed. And that's kind of dumb. If you, In the last 20 years, the amount of information we all consume has increased by a factor of five. But over the same time period, the amount of content that, that the average worker produces has increased by a factor of 200. So if you hold those numbers together, most of all our well-meaning, more-based productivity is just white noise. Nobody can really consume it. And I, and I think that's part of the, the issue. We're kind of we're hooked in endlessly doing more, but it doesn't capture attention, which is the heart of the, the point around the attention economy. But the stuff that stands out in an attention economy is the stuff that's kind of interesting, that's kind of different. And very few of us have the we're so busy racing and cramming we don't create the space for us to have the insight that leads to fresh thinking 
So what do you say to the person who says, okay, well, this all, this all sounds great. It would be great to have more time, but but here's my day. I, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. It takes this much time to get it done, and that fills up the day. So it would be great to have more free time, but it is impossible. And it's, it's funny, you know, Mike, I would always get a question that would be asked at the end of a talk, and it would go something like this. Look, Tony, you say busy is a choice, but what about me? Uh, I've, I'm a single parent. I've got seven children. I run three multi-million dollar projects. My mother-in-law's coming to stay, and I've got a dog with leukemia. And they look at me as if, you know, surely I haven't got a choice. And they'd invest great energy in convincing me. And in some respects, what they were looking for almost is absolution. They were looking for me to say, actually, for you, busy isn't a choice. But when I dig further, in almost all cases, there is a difficult conversation or a tricky choice that isn't happening. And so what do you say to that guy, the guy whose mother-in-law is coming and his dog has leukemia? What's your advice to him? Yeah, well, it starts with making choices. So the standard question when we're deciding whether, you know, if we should do something or if we want to do something is whether or not, whether or not I should go to that meeting, whether or not I should cook that fancy meal for the mother-in-law, whether or not I should sign my child up for that other after-school activity or whatever the case may be. Now, the answer to all of these, almost always, if we ask, ask the question that way, is yes, because these are all worthwhile things. These are all valuable things. But if we start from an assumption that we can't do it all, and actually, if we try and do it all, when we try and do everything, we actually achieve nothing. And our lives turn to gray. We, I, I used to paint as a kid. And when you mix too many colors on a palette, you don't get a rainbow. You kind of get this gray sludge. And that's what our lives become when we try and do everything and never quite do anything brilliantly. And and so instead of saying whether or not, maybe we should ask a different question, which is something more like, if I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? What's What's the cost? Because what happens, Mike, most often is when we choose whether or not we should do something, the thing that we often forget about is the is the important thing it might be the playing lego with johnny it might be thinking about the new strategy for the business if it's a, if it's a work related thing as opposed to the immediate and urgent and pressing thing which always gets the noise so part of it is just actually having the courage to make trade offs and allowing yourself to be a little bit sloppy because actually when we try and be perfect we end up being fairly inadequate at everything it's not that we start with sloppiness but it, it comes back to we getting really clear on the people, on the conversations, on the activities that you care about most and putting real energy into those and just accepting as a consequence that other things won't be able to be perfect. If we start from trying to get all the, everything perfect, what gets squeezed out? What gets squeezed out is the stuff that in years to come we will always look back on with regret. We're talking about being busy and the problem of being too busy too much of the time. And my guest is Tony Crabb. He's author of the book, Busy, How to Thrive in a World of Too Much. So, Tony, this idea of not being perfect, that perfection isn't always better, and that being sloppy is okay. I mean, when you look at kids, I mean, it used to be the kids after school, that was their time to hang out with their friends and ride their bikes and do what they want. And now kids are very scheduled. It's not sloppy. It's very, very structured. 
But we know one of the things that happens when children have this kind of massively structured environment, albeit well-intentioned, is part of the brain, the central executive, doesn't develop properly. Um, And that's essential for creativity. It's essential for autonomy. It's essential for um, self-management, if you like, as we go, go through life later on. And so one of the, it's funny, one of the things, one of the phrases that our children most associate with us and kind of groan whenever we say it, but we still say it, is whenever we kind of say, look, technology off kids, um, and they turn to us inevitably and say, but daddy, I'm bored, as if it's my job to fix that. And our response is, and that's our greatest gift to you. Because unless we have boredom, and this applies to adults as well, by the way, boredom is a hugely important thing for the brain to allow our brain to make sense of what's going on. I mean, when do we have, if I I ask most people, when do you have your best ideas? They will nearly always say in the shower. Why is that? It's probably because it's about the only day, only time in the day when they're not either producing something or stimulating themselves or consuming something. And, And when we're off task or free play for, for children, parts of the brain can fire up that, that are important for making sense of things, that are important for creativity. And we, you know, even with the children, we know the kind of decline in free play that's, that's hit society has been associated with massive increases in mental health. In the UK, there was, it, you know, there's been a, something like, a, I think, a 48% increase in mental health issues of children over the last decade. Um, and that's partly associated with this lack of unstructured freedom, sloppiness even. So the next time my kid says, I'm bored, I'm going to tell him, and that's my gift to you. Exactly. But you know what? Two or three minutes later, he'll be making some kind of cool thing with a, with a washing up bottle or whatever, or painting a picture and doing something that is genuinely interesting, or actually, quite frankly, just having a conversation. And so what do you say, though, to people who just, I mean, I, I can imagine people listening to you going, yeah, well, this is really great, you know, for other people, I'm sure this is really good, but I, I wouldn't know how to even approach what he's talking about. I mean, how would you even begin to put your toe in the water here if you're one of those people who gets up and starts 100 miles an hour? Well, look, there's a, there's a few things. I mean, actually, the... The doing nothing is one of the one of the hardest things. I think what I would say is think about rather than thinking about time, because managing time is a really out of date thing to do. I don't think that time is our ultimate commodity anymore. The the ultimate commodity that's in short supply is attention, um, and that's supported by some research by the um, one of the chief economists at the Bank of England. But when you think about attention and what, what it means to manage attention, there are three elements to it. Attention has a direction. It's like a flashlight. It points in different directions. Attention has an intensity, an intensity of focus, and attention has a duration, how long it lingers in any given place. And so thinking of our day about how do we intentionally point our attention onto stuff that we truly care about? How often have we got to the end of a day and we've been busy, but we can't really remember what we actually did? But it it seems that so much of the day... Yeah, it may be mundane things that you don't remember doing, but it doesn't mean they weren't important or necessary to get done. They had to get done. They just weren't particularly interesting or exciting. You still, you know, you have to drop the clothes off of the dry cleaners because if you don't, you don't have clean clothes. 
So those things are necessary, but I guess what you're saying is that that we have a tendency to gravitate to those things. Those are the easier things to do. They're they're quicker, they're they're easy to check off the to-do list and we tend to go towards that. In any given moment, given a choice between simple but dull activity or something that's a little trickier, that might be a deep conversation with your son. It might be starting that complex report that you were going to write. In, in any given moment, the choice between these two things, you're going to choose the simple and dull activity. Um, and so what often happens is we get into this frenetic activity and we feel, because we've got loads of dopamine flowing around, like we're being super uber effective. But actually, probably what we're doing is just making lots of choices in the grip of temptation for small, meaningless stuff, as opposed to, to big things. When we're at home, we we fub each other. Are you familiar with the word fubbing, Mike? Is that is that a word that's fubbing? Is this notion of snubbing someone with your phone, being effectively rude to someone with your phone? So, mid conversation, you just whip out your phone and have a quick glance, or you're in a meeting and you just open the laptop. Don't mind me; I'm just doing a few email. I'll join the meeting at the right time. And we we fub people all the time, and and therefore are never fully in, involved in those conversations. And just getting into some simple habits around being fully present and putting the phone away. We actually know that just putting your phone on the table makes the other person like you less because they know you're only semi-present. Actually, my, I've got a friend of mine who, who started a fight back against fubbing and he, he carries a book of poetry. And if anyone ever fubs him, he whips out his book of poetry, reads a couple of verses and puts it back in his pocket with no explanation whatsoever, just to make the point that just because it's a phone, it's still odd to disrupt a conversation by looking at it. So thinking about your day, less about how do I maximize my minutes and and thinking instead about how do I persistently point my attention to what matters? How do I get really immersed and present with the people I care about or matter to me and on the problems? And how do I avoid the temptation of distractions will be a a smart place to start. I want to get you to talk about the idea that, you know, there are people who are busy and the concept of not being busy makes no sense to them. What would they do? I mean, if they weren't busy, that's, that's what, that's what people do. They do stuff. They go places, they run errands, they, they do what they do. And, and there's a, a joy there. There's there's like a sense of accomplishment of I, I got all these things done. Things are off my to-do list. And they're not, they can't really comprehend what you're talking about. I would answer that question in so many different ways. So first is, we've got to differentiate buzz from joy. So the fact is, busyness gives us a buzz because of the dopamine. But actually, it undermines the joy. Our, you know, it, it reduces our ability to be fully present in our conversation. We see, you know, we're kind of surrounded by people who are just living lives of partial attention, never fully present. And if you actually think about the times when you were most joyful, when you were most truly happy over the last few few weeks and months, it would have been a time when you were immersed your attention with reckless abandon into the conversation or the activity you were doing, and that isn't busyness. That's just um, because busyness is what, again, coming back to my point at the start, busyness is just kind of racing and cramming and juggling. So moving away from business doesn't mean that our lives aren't full. Um, I'm not I'm not arguing for 
doing a lot less necessarily. What I'm asking, what I'm suggesting is we do things for longer with less interruptions. We focus deeper with more intensity um, and we bring our attention more regularly to the things that really matter. I mean, 58% of knowledge workers are saying they do less than 30 minutes thinking a day. 30% say they do no thinking at all each day, um, which kind of is bonkers. We, we see empathy levels of um, US students dr has dropped by 40% over the last um, couple of decades because we're getting into, and this is also mirrored by the way in organizations, because we're getting out of the habit of being fully present with people. So what I'm not arguing um, and suggesting is that we just give up everything and go into idle, idle life. What I am suggesting is have a look at your life and ask yourself, to what degree um, are you doing the things that truly you truly care about? To what degree are you being fully present with the people you really love? Um, and if the answer to that is, well, I could do a bit better on that, then make small choices that allow you to spend a little bit more time with deep attention, with the people that you love most, with the, with the people that matter to you most in the organization or in your work or on the activities that you know will truly add value either to your life or the organization. And small shifts and small choices that we make to put a bit more time into those, even if they require tricky choices or tricky conversations to allow us to do those, will make a big difference not only in the quality of our lives and the quality of our work, but will also make a big difference in the sense of control we feel over our lives. Well, speaking just from my own experience, I know that trying to change the way you live your life or spend your day or get things done, changing that is hard. But with more and more coming at us, maybe we could be a little more intentional because, you know, as I go through my day, a lot of it is on autopilot and by maybe making some more intentional choices about what I choose to do, uh, things could be a lot easier and a lot better. Tony Crabb has been my guest. He's a business psychologist and author of the book, Busy, How to Thrive in a World of Too Much. And you'll find a link to his book at Amazon in the show notes. Thanks, Tony. It's been a real pleasure. I mean, obviously, I mean, I knew you were going to be a pro given the, the success of the work that you do, but, but it was... Very, very easy to talk to you, and thanks ever so much. Hey, trivia fans, I'm your trivia host, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And according to the crazy holiday calendar Joe's mom got me, today is spunky old broads day to you. I just found out about this holiday and already have mixed feelings about it because whenever I walk up to a spunky old broad and call her a spunky old broad, she didn't seem to care for it that much much like i told joe's mom to rethink those jeans maybe we should uh, i don't know drop her and maybe rethink this topic too hey you know what i actually have a better idea that i'm sure is gonna stick i'll tell you more about it after today's trivia question here it is did you know the u.s supreme court started on this date in 1790 today there are nine justices sitting on the court but how many justices were there back in 1790. I'll be back with your answer faster than you can object to this podcast. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, stackers, I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And while you're getting burned by GameStop stock, I've already been burned enough by this spunky old broads day to know this is a 1,000% horrible idea. But being the innovator I am, how about this little tune-up, just a little tweak? Spunky, young broads day. Huh? Huh? Are you with me on this? No, we're not calling the broads old anymore. See, that's the twist that normal people, like, I think of that stuff. I can safely walk up to Joe's mom's friend, Gertrude, tell her what a spunky young broad she is, and I'm sure she's going to, I mean, who wouldn't love that? Let's get this finished up so I can try this little miracle idea out. Back to the trivia question, though. Here it was. How many justices were there back in 1790? If you guessed an odd number, you'd be wrong. The answer is actually six. So how they ever made decisions with an even number is beyond me. Uh, All right, I got to head off to the store. Some of the holidays on the calendar that mom got dug, truly horrible. OG, truly horrible. Yeah, we got to talk to him. (laughs) Number one, I don't understand the holiday. Number two, I should understand why he's... uh, Talking about that holiday, but I really don't. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Oh, uh, uh, GameStop, short squeeze, trading. (laughs) 
because if I would have done it, I'd be retired by now. It's a, it's you, you missed out. Some serious. Oh. I just have to do it the long way. Serious FOMO going on. It's actually your loved ones in your time, but your loved ones in your time with millions of dollars talking about how you made your whole retirement on a GameStop short squeeze. Back when I was a young boy, we didn't have to save for retirement. We just put all of our money in GameStop. In four days, your grandmother and I retired. And that's why they may buy quality term life insurance. Actually simple. Less time there, more time hitting refresh on your Robinhood account. Head to stockybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Their application's simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Andrew. Say hi, Andrew. Hey, guys. My name is Andrew, and I'm a 26-year-old with an indexed universal life insurance policy. I pay a premium of $500 a month. Do you guys think it's smart to keep this policy going for future retirement or close it down and look at a better option? Thank you. Thanks for the question, Andrew. I think the, uh, I think the insurance guy took him out for a nice steak dinner afterward. He's, he's 26 years old. Hmm. This feels like a big no way, Jose, but here's some things to think about. Number one, universal life is a permanent policy. So it's, it's one that as long as you pay the premiums, you're going to keep forever. So if you have a health issue or health issues in your family that are pretty severe, then I think, uh, you know, you want to be aware of the fact that you might not be able to get life insurance later. So there's that. If you're of reasonable health and most specifically, you don't have anyone to protect as it relates to insurance, which basically means if you don't have any liabilities or you don't have any children or you don't have any spouses that are relying on you, then uh, what do you have life insurance for? So he's talking about this saving for retirement. So it probably sounds like it was pitched to him as a savings for retirement. And then the pitch sounded a lot like this. Hey, you get the upside of the market, but none of the downside. And then there's a little asterisk that nobody tells you about. And the asterisk is subject to limitations. And you go, oh, what are those limitations? Oh, when we, see, when we say all the upside, what we really mean is 25% of the upside, up to 10%. So if the stock market goes up 25%, what do I get? Two and a half. The stock market goes up 10, what do I get? Two and a half. The stock market goes up 30, what do I get? Two and a half. The stock market goes up seven, what do I get? Like 1.3. <laughs> So how is that a good a good investment for retirement? It's just not. So Yeah, I think he's got to, I, I mean, at the very least with his investments, get rid of that cap. Get rid of those well, you caps. You can't, can't. It's contractual. I know. No, I know. But I'm saying just in his investment vehicles for retirement, he shouldn't have those types of caps, which is the reason yeah. why I think it's a no. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say, hey, I've got a universal life policy because I've got all these kids and responsibilities and also I can save money for retirement. What do you think? He said, should I get rid of it and save for retirement elsewhere? Based on that, the answer is yes. Get rid of it. And also, whoever sold it to you, never talk to that person again. Because that's horse patootie. Yeah, that was a, a bad thing. Wrong, wrong product. I do like the fact, I'd love to hear how much the, you know, without getting too far in the weeds, I'd love to hear how high the death benefit is on that. Because hearing a number that that's big that he's packing into it, frankly, when it comes to that type of life insurance policy, OG, you and I know the only way, the only way to use that successfully 
is to pack a bunch of money into it, which is counterintuitive for most people, right? Why am I putting more money in life insurance policy? Well, it's actually going into the savings part, which is reducing the cost of the insurance and more money is going into your pocket. In this case, it's going into the wrong investment, one that you don't need. And he's got this cost of insurance that I question whether he needs it or not. Like you said, he didn't mention kids or or uh, replacement for his income or anything like that. So what starts off as a maybe, maybe not idea, probably not for most people, turns into a hard no. Yeah. Slimy. Yeah. Run away. Thanks for the question, Andrew. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com. Actually, go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That'll take you right there. And uh, you can ask us a question as well. We're very happy to answer your questions. A lot of people to thank, got to thank, especially uh, Mike Carruthers for hanging out with us today, OG. Mike and his Something You Should Know podcast, we're big fans of that show. And Mike has been a friend of uh, mine for a number of years. So uh, big thanks to Mike for collaborating with us on today's episode. Uh, thanks to you, OG, for all your help and um, for... Just being me. Yeah, even though you didn't tell me to get into GameStop. I'm a little upset about that, but... It's all right. Yes. Maybe next time. Whatever. When you say get into GameStop, I went to the store. You you were like, all right, I'm here. Now what? Yeah. Uh, didn't quite work out. But I did sell three mile games and got 12 bucks. That's going to do it for today. We'll let Doug take care of thanking everybody else. But uh, just got to say this two things. Big thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this year's show. And last but not least, after the heck of a year that we just had, and by heck of a year, I mean the dumpster fire, I think you owe it to yourself to have a smart friend in your corner who looks at what you're doing and sees if it can maybe dovetail better. And OG and his team are taking clients. So if you want to do yourself that favor, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. That's the link to OG's team's calendar. And uh, you can see how they can help you do better with your money in 2021. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? Look, Joe, I am super busy over here. I don't have time to... Okay, fine. All right, I'll tell them what they should have learned today. We'll do this fast. First, take a lesson from our headlines, thinking about going all in on GameStop to stick it to the man. Well, turns out the man probably has a lot more money than you, and unless you're ready to take a beating when this stock returns to its fundamentals... Uh, we wouldn't get involved. Second, take some advice from Tony Crabb. Maybe being less busy is what we're after after all. I probably should have listened to that segment, huh? Uh, we'll be happier and surprisingly often accomplish more of the important things in our life if we do less. But the big lesson? Turns out that while Joe's mom doesn't like to be called a spunky young broad either, she... Now, after being on Reddit, hates being called Robin Hood even worse. Well, while I won't ever say something offensive to Joe's mom about being a spunky old broad ever again, calling her Robin Hood just might be fun. Hey, Robin Hood, what's for dinner? <laughs> Whoa, hey, 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 stop throwing things down the stairs. That's out of control. You can kill somebody, especially me, Robin. Oh, God. Okay, that was a good shot, actually. Nice arm, Ma. Thank you to Mike Carruthers and the Something You Should Know podcast for sharing Mike's interview with Tony Crabb with us. You'll find Something You Should Know at somethingyoushouldknow.net 
or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'll also share a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks also to Tony Crabb. You'll find his book, Busy, wherever books are sold, and you'll find more about him at TonyCrabb.com. You spell crab, C-R-A-B-B-E. You know, just like normal. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. I have my first colonoscopy tomorrow. You want to talk about that? I get to spend the rest of my day doing two things, not eating, which by the way, you don't even think about eating until you can't eat. And when, when you can't eat, you're like, oh man, I would love to eat right now. <laughs> you should eat. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise, doctor. It's like when you eat the Oreos. Do we talk about this when you eat the Oreos before you go to the dentist? <laughs> Just getting your money's worth. Just totally getting your money's worth. Yeah. Have like a like a bunch of sauerkraut and beer tonight for dinner. <laughs> You're like, sorry, my bad. My bad. Just, just just really, really stinky stuff like asparagus and sauerkraut. Yeah. That'd be horrible. And 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 peppers. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not gonna do that. You're welcome, Doc. So you don't get to eat for a week, huh? Well, not oh, for a week. For, for, just, I don't know the rules. Just, I'm not as old as you. Just for today. And I got to drink this stuff that it says, it says in the directions that I drink this stuff and it's meant to clean me out. There you go. And it says that I may vomit. Um, oh, that's fun. And that's okay. And that your doctor thinks that the risk of drinking this toxic stuff is less of a risk than the colonoscopy is. So yeah, okay, this is going to do terrible things to your body, but given two things that are both bad, this is the least bad. And I get to start saying cheers with that stuff at about six o'clock tonight. That's fun. What, one at six and one at midnight. So Yumbo. good times, everybody. Good times. <clears throat> Don't turn 50 people. I lied about it to my doctor for three years. Like, no, I'm 49.
again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it says here you're, you're 52. No, uh, that, that must be wrong. I'm still 49. Actually get that done. Uh, uh, I had a friend whose dad did not get that done and, uh, passed away very, very quickly. So mm. get it done people. No bueno. How's that? And that on a serious note. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.